This is the Evolution Exchange podcast, a channel that connects some of the most successful technical leaders in the Nordics region. I'm Andy. I help connect businesses with the best UX and UI freelance talent. And today I'm your host. Okay, um, welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Frederick Fernberg, who is a UX and design director at Visma, Stina Johnson, who's director of UX at Shipstead, Jacob Ritzbecker, who's head of products at eBerry of Nordic Choice Hotels, and Joanne Mollin, who's ex CPO at Epidemic Sounds and currently a CTO slash CPO advisor at Tipsa. So today we're going to be discussing the topic uh, all about creating product focused teams, both within UX, within products, and within developers. So it's a really interesting topic, and I'm very interested to hear what our guests have to say today. Um, so before we get off with our questions, let's work our way around the room with some introductions. So Frederick, would you like to go first and please introduce yourself to everyone? Sure thing. Yeah. So I'm Frederick. I'm from Visma. Um, I, as you said, I'm a design and UX director in Visma. I started working at Visma at 2006 as a team lead for what we then called the HCI team. I don't know if everyone in the uh, audience know what HCI is, but it stands for Human Computer Interaction. And uh, my academic background is cognitive psychology. So I have a master's in cognitive psychology. And for some time, I didn't really know what to do with that master degree, but um, uh, eventually I ended up working with computers and software specifically. Um, I think the biggest sort of achievement I've done at Visma is building the team from three people to now plus 150 people. Um, I started 2006, so I've had some time. And in that time, I also sort of branched out in Visma. So I'm now basically responsible for everything design related in Visma. Um, yeah, I'm sort of driven by curiosity. I'm really interested in human behavior. And I think the merge with sort of how do we use that knowledge to sort of optimize um, the experience or the interaction between people and interfaces, even if it's uh, visual or sound, doesn't really matter. Yeah, that's a short introduction to me. No, that's brilliant. Thank you very much, Frederick. I'll come next to Stina then. Um, please, can you give us a little bit of introduction about yourself? Yes, of course. Yeah, so my name is Stina and I am the UX director here at Shipset uh, Media. So I'm heading a team of 40 plus talented UXers and designers and researchers. And they're all working with the, the newspapers we have here, the digital products we have. And we also have uh, other uh, services across Scandinavia that we work with. So myself, I came from, uh, I come from a designer's background and I've been working with, uh, with user-centered, innovative user experience for over 20 years. And uh, as a person, I have a great passion just for, for the area UX, of course, user experience. And uh, as you were talking about the the human uh, technique uh, interaction and uh, innovation and also new tech. I'm also really into new tech, so I love uh, new units to to explore on and uh, new ways of interact with them. So yeah, that's a bit about me. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Uh, let's go to Jacob then. Yeah. So um, I'm Jacob. Uh, current role is head of products at a um, company called eBerry within Nordic Choice Hotels. So everybody probably heard of Peter Stordalen. It's quite a, 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 a character uh, in the media. So my background is in, in mainly product and project management within you know web app development, CRM marketing, ERP booking systems, BI. I've dabbled with a lot of different you know product and and and, and areas and, and product focused uh, you know building teams and 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 whatnot. So. Currently, eBerry is a company, like I said, within Choice, and and I got the benefit of as part of forming that company uh, with the ambition to take on, you know, OTAs, online travel agents such as Booking.com, Expedia, uh, and you know, our aim is to increase conversion in our own digital channels, take ownership of the guests, and that sort of thing. So 
we develop all guest facing digital products uh, pretty much. So we went from probably five, six developers to about 50 in a few years. And I pre-corona, I had a team of, of 12 UX and product owners, sliced it down to three. So now we're starting to build it up again. Like the hotel industry was hit pretty hard. Uh, so we had to basically, you know, sort of survive. So now we're we're picking that up and and putting our foot on the gas again. Brilliant, thank you, Jacob. And uh, Johan, let's go to you last. Hi, um, I'm Johan Molin, uh, and in my personal life, I'm I'm a father of two kids, uh, husband, uh, and. Uh, as a hobby, I enjoy playing music in my in my band. Um, but professionally, I've been I've been in product management for my entire career. It's been sixteen years now, um, and I've been working both in the telecom industry, uh, where I back in the days we we built mobile TV services and uh, music streaming services on uh, very old, ancient type of phones. Uh, and um, I've also been uh, at Viaplay in different roles. Uh, so I've, I've been there as a product manager and worked uh, as a product strategy lead and uh, CPO. Um, and Viaplay is, if, if you don't know about it, it's, it's like a Scandinavian Netflix type of service. So, so a streaming service. Uh, However, now they're expanding way beyond Scandinavia. Um, and more recently, I've been at uh, a company called Epidemic Sound um, as a CPO, uh, where I, the last three, four years, um, we, we scaled that company, uh, me and, and a lot of people uh, with me from, uh, from being a, a quite small B2B company into a global SaaS unicorn company with uh, about 500 people working there. Um, and I've just recently stepped off that assignment and I'm, I'm currently coaching companies in scaling product organizations. Uh, so I'm, I'm currently doing this with a Stockholm-based e-commerce company called Tipser. Uh, and we, we talk a lot about uh, stuff similar to the subject that we have uh, on the agenda today like how how to build product focused teams so so i'm i'm really passionate about passionate about that subject and look forward to the discussion brilliant well yeah that's exactly what we're going to do so now we've obviously worked out a way around the room got a little bit of an introduction from each of you so let's dive into some of the uh some of the questions that you have for us today and Johan, i'm gonna flip it right back to you and we're gonna start with you on the first question so uh please kick us off all right so um so my my question was like what what's your general thinking and principles when you when you define your product team topology and what I mean with the team topology is like the, when you set the scope and the name and the, like the metrics around the team, when you, when you build a product team, what, what, you, what principles do you lean on? Uh, and I, I can give you a little bit where, where I'm coming from uh, on this. I, I've sometimes struggled with teams that kind of gravitate towards focus and just trying to build their team around uh, technology and the tools that uh, that they currently work on uh, and um, uh, as an example at Epidemic Sound we kind of identified production of music as as a key strategic area and I, I wanted to try and frame that in a way that uh, the teams would assume responsibility of both the quality and the volume of the music and, and all the content. Uh, but the team tended to identify themselves at the, as a platform team, working with enabling technologies and like building a music backend and building some music tools. Um, and uh, this was a bit of a, like, a, uh, friction point. Uh, the team's approach was more focused and clear, but tended to kind of miss the big picture. And from leadership, our approach was 
more long lasting and trying to force us to think about whether we actually need more music in the first place, which is much harder and more fundamental, but p potentially more unclear as a team uh, as well. So I just want to hear from you. How do you think about uh, the, the actual scope of the teams and how you structure them? What's what's your experience and, and how, how do you think about that? Okay, great. Well, let's try and find uh, some answers to that then. So, Frederick, what, what are your thoughts? <clears throat> well, my top of mind thought is I recognize this challenge first, I recognize it. <laughs> and being in Visma for many years, working with many business units, with many teams, my first top of mind thought is that we always have too many people in the teams. That's one thing. So how I would sort of define the teams is much smaller uh, than solving a problem by having more people. It doesn't solve the problem, rather the contrary. So having a small team, to start with a small team. Then it sounds like you have expectations in management towards development. That is, you have a disconnect there, it sounds like. So then communication, sort of, I was writing some uh, uh, comments before the meeting. I think many times in many projects, it's defining the sort of scope and defining the case is, at least in my experience, quite poorly done um, and it's it's also you need to someone will need to translate it so that they understand it so I, I would say those two things I would start off with defining a tight small team and be really good at defining what they actually should do because my other experience is that especially after some time the team sort of tends to lack focus and direction and they find solutions to problems that doesn't exist okay Some interesting mind thoughts. yeah no brilliant um jacob what have you got to say about it yeah uh and and like i i agree with frederick it's 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 fairly complex and we've done some exercises around this and and you know a choice there's a pretty, there's a strong culture and a strong why. I mean, the culture comes later, but here I think you're talking about the why and, and the purpose and sort of what are we here for? And, and, you know, you can always say that there's a higher purpose, you know, sustainability environment. And, and I think the only choice is pretty strong. So, I mean, it, it's, it's been a way of, you know, really knowing the why and the company's goals and strategy by heart, conveying that maybe, you know, work on your storytelling abilities so you can actually um, sort of convey the message in, in a much deeper sense. Uh, then I see that some teams, you know, they, they, they tend to maybe be focused a lot on the KPIs, on the low level KPIs, which is, I mean, something that you need to derive from from whatever your company is, is going and, and you want to involve the teams in, in you know, breaking down the why and, 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 and the purpose and, and, you know, what are your products supposed to, what, what value are they supposed to bring to your customers? And, and if you, if you reiterate that, you know, continuously, you'll, you'll, like you mentioned, Frederick, that, you know, you tend to lose focus after a while, but you need to also revisit these uh, the purpose and the KPIs and 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 I've I've seen also I mean you tend to teams tend to have too many KPIs you know so you'll you'll need to focus on the main KPIs that actually tells you something um, so yeah it's it's you know whether it's it's uh, you know for loyalty whether it's customer lifetime value or retention or you know wherever your product is whatever your product is solving you need to focus on the main main sort of KPIs. And I think, you know, knowing scope and mandate of your product, it, it's super important because what you're going to do is, is empower the team to define this sort of purpose and, and the way forward. So, mm -hmm. so coaching and guiding. Brilliant. Thank you, Jacob. Um, Stina, let's, let's hear your thoughts on it then. Yeah, I can just agree on what you said. Uh, I was actually taking notes on the same thing that it's it's important to know where we're heading. You know, uh, clear clear vision, 
And also, of course, why are we here? What are our team's purpose? Like, you know, the, the basic first. And then, uh, of course, always have, it's always a problem with mandates. What are you responsible for? And uh, how, what can you held, be held accountable for? Uh, always that is like a big issue, I think, in every team. And it's, uh, if, if that's unclear, then it's very hard to work together also. Uh, and uh, also, of course, of course, in the clear where we're heading, having a clear product strategy is, of course, it seems like a no-brainer, right? But it's many companies that don't have that yet. Uh, and... Uh, and when we don't have that, we don't know how actually we should work together to come towards common goals and what actually what problems are we solving for the users, right? Mm. So and mm. and if we don't have that direction, it's it will always get so tricky to to work together. Uh, I think so. That's just that was my take on it. But no, it's great. And John, after hearing you know the other guest comments, um, let's you know come back to you and what do you think after hearing that? No, uh, so I I agree with everything you say, but just um, maybe to clarify a little bit more what what I'm after. It's like um, what are the the principles that you tend to use when you when you when you build a team? Do you build them around the metric? I heard uh, Fredrik, you mentioned that maybe build the team around a, a clear. Uh, 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 or it, it wasn't Frederick. It, it was uh, um, it was you, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Jacob. Yeah. Jacob. Yeah. Jacob yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Uh, build build that around the, a metric, and you, Stina, you mentioned build build a team around the problem. Uh, so what what do you what do you usually do uh, uh, when you define like a product team? Should they be focused on a metric or a problem or both or what, what's the principle that you tend to use? Obviously, you, Jacob. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> definitely a problem for me. Uh, you know, you, there's something you either need to solve or a value you need to bring, and it's usually based on, you know, customer insights, customer feedback. So I think I think this ties into another question we're we're going to touch upon later with, you know, how do you sort of group your teams? But uh, in any way or form, you know. It, you tend to base everything on customer insights and you know that's that's the front runner and then of course you have your business strategy and you need to align things because it might be you know other macro trends that you need to follow or you need to actually influence your customers for with you know products and services that they don't even know they need yet so you know mm. that aspect but yeah definitely huddle around the problem and and derive your metrics and and the why from that mm. Mm. Frederick or Steve, anything else um, off that? Um, no, but I agree. Uh, I think maybe like uh, for me, like starting with define common ground, like what that's part of like where we're heading, and 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 in part of that session, it's uh, it's all about the users, right, and the problems to solve, because mm. we're setting the goals and we're setting the metrics. Uh, they're based on what we're actually trying to solve for the users, right? That's uh, mm -hmm. so for me. They are really, really like tightly connected, mm -hmm. both of them. Or they should be. If they're not, we have a problem, I think, right? Mm -hmm. um, because all the business uh, decisions, everything is connected. That we actually have users to our products. So, yeah. um, but I think. I, I get sort of skeptical when you say metrics. It's, there's something in me where I, I like the qualitative side of things, and we talk about metrics. It can be sort of um, constraining to some extent. But also the reflection I have on the question is that, well, it also depends on what kind of project and what kind of product and when in the face. So I think there are many other questions related to context and time related to this but if mm -hmm. i can just uh, elaborate on some experience that i have is that um a bit related but what i've seen with teams is that um the teams that works the best is also teams where you have typically one really strong individual that sort of um it can be a, a sort of formal leader, but it can many times also be an informal leader. 
And typically, this is my experience, if you have a strong UX designer, what I've seen is that the project manager doesn't have as much to do because as soon as you start being user-centered, uh, work with design thinking, uh, having the insights, the person that really owns the insights and sort of really connect to them and understand and have sort of empathy to them and are dedicated, that person typically drives the, the project more rather than a, pers a person that you just assign to become a project manager. Well, I've gone to education, learned how to be a project manager. And that, that's not really answer to your question, but that's another reflection I have on success in teams where, where you have this a person that is really strong, that believe in something that will make a change in how the product will serve the customer. Many times when, when you have teams that are too big then, it's hard to sort of coordinate those things. And you need to set sort of a direction and someone talked about tradition quite early in the project, I think. Um, yeah, top of mind thoughts related to no, that's, that's brilliant. And it's a great question to uh, obviously start this episode off. Um, so let's change uh, change direction slightly um, and we'll move on. We'll go into Stina's, uh, Stina's question for today's topic. So Stina, let's hear it. Yeah, it's uh, it's everything is connected here, right? So yeah. I, I believe we can like continue this discussion. But my question was, uh, how do we make sure that we have the most efficient and innovative product teams in place at our workspace? Uh, where we have, where we just have the product discovery and innovation as a natural part of the product development process, and where the cross-functional product teams with the UX tech and products works collaboratively to solve the user needs and the pain points and the desired desires in order to reach the desired outcome. So, how do we actually get the team to that point where they actually work together? Because I agree that when we have a strong UXer that uh, takes responsibility of gathering the insight, but uh, we're doing a lot of work at Chipset Media right now and setting a new process, for example. That's why I have this question and where it's just, uh, you know, a product development process where we have a product discovery at first and then product delivery and then you need, you know, you wrap up and you, you get all the findings uh, and you start over again and uh, you listen and measure. But now it's like how how can we like implement this process? How can we do this in the best of ways? Because we know that the UXers and the designers and our researchers, they are great in doing this uh, product discovery with empathizer discovery phase and stuff like that. But we all need everyone to be participate and, and get those insights to actually make a real change in, in the company and to, to really truly be insights driven, you know, all of us, not only the UX department. So. Mm -hmm. For me, that's a goal, and I, my goal is also that everyone should be innovative, innovative in their daily work, right? We should not have a team for innovation. <laughs> then it's it's really hard to make a change. Then, so that's mm. my question and a bit of a background of it. Yeah, no, it's great. It's a great question, uh, Jacob. Let's hear from you. Yeah, uh, I think you almost answered some of it in, in the question. <laughs> in the but that was good. Uh, but yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we, we've tried to establish a UX process that goes into every layer, every fabric of, of the organization. It's been a struggle because, um, you know, we tend to not get invited to to certain things and, and, you know, we come in too late and then, you know, they've already done their discovery, but it's not in a structured and, and you know, professional way. Um, but what's, what, what's worked with us is, you know, we've had dedicated people actually, you know, um, creating a, a safe environment to challenge the norm, to you know continuously be be a bit disruptive, and we've had you know projects called Rebel Force where you're you know you take time off your schedule to actually join. It's 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 more than a hackathon. It's you know next step where you dedicate twenty percent of your time. And and I think what's what's worked is that we had leaders actually you know encouraging and 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 allowing for that and and you know celebrating mistakes and all and, and and that's i mean it's worked but what's been difficult also is um you know if if you're going to innovate and have a lot of ideas people want to see them get implemented 
And that's, mm. you know, that's been a struggle. If they see or keep in innovating and, you know, we have this process for pitching and, and you know, you get your idea through and then implementation stops. Uh, and, and I think that's a bit detrimental to, to innovation and, 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 you know, for, for the continuous sort of idea generation. But we've we've tried, you know, design sprints and, and different ways of iterating, you know, prototypes and moving from blank paper to something actually testable on on guests and customers, and it's it's worked pretty good, I would say. Um, so yeah, that's no, great. Really, cool. uh, Johan, let's hear from you again. Let's uh, you know get your opinions on Stina's question. Yeah, I, th I think this this is a great question and every something everyone strives for, right? So, I, I think th this is it's where my my question kind of um, starts. I think is important here with with creating the different product teams that we have. Those are the teams that we want to make really good at solving customer problems and be cross-functional and, and do those things, right? So, so I think it's very important to think hard about how you define those teams and what, what's the purpose of those different teams and, and give them a, a big and highly impactful mission. Uh, and if, if you can do that with several teams, uh, I think that that's that is um, like a first ticket to empowering teams to to crack some 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 tough topics. And in addition to that, I, I think you need a lot of things in place around the teams. Uh, I think you need a structure that aims for outcomes and not feature development. And that's something that all the product people always talks about and um, kind of preaching to the choir uh, but but there's a lot of things that is needed on a on a company level to allow for that to happen so i think you mm. really need in order for for that to become a reality everyone needs to be on board with that the the whole company governance structure needs to kind of agree that we 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 need to um, work in this way. We need to work with the company OKRs that aims for um, outcomes and, and not feature development and, and like uh, delivering stuff. Um, so so I, I think th that's the like fundament of, of getting this going. And even with that in place, it's super hard to, to get the teams to, to be innovative and collaborate. So I, on top of that, I think the team needs coaching on how to use product discovery and frame pr problems correctly and collaborate and uh, have the right people to find innovative solutions to problems. Um, but I, I, th that's kind of how, how I would... Um, uh, how I would look at it, like those three things, like the overall structure uh, around the, the product team and then the actual definition of the product teams and then the specific tools and um, um, the ways of working inside of the teams. Hmm. Brilliant. And hmm. Frederick, let's hear your comments. Um, <laughs> I think it was pretty... Uh, really good answers from Jacob and Johan. Um, I don't have that much to add. Just a reflection on innovation. I think uh, we had innovation as a value in Visma previously. And I was already always really hesitant about that one because it's like, okay, what should I do with that value? Is that a value? We've changed all those values now. So, <laughs> so you know, uh, innovation is not a value. I, it's... As you say, you want it's an outcome. So I would say it's about people and it's about culture. So everything you can do to sort of create a, I would say, a safe space so that people feel that they um, get some headroom, basically, right? Um, I don't know your companies, but, but in Visma is quite sort of uh, a lot of business units where we have quite different uh, culture. And it's quite interesting to see that in some companies it's it, it's more nurtured the culture is more sort of nurtured 
while others is more like uh i would i wouldn't say that as an authority but it's more like engineering centric i think it's quite a good word and mm. if you can succeed of becoming less engineering centric i think that can nurture innovation that maybe that's a contradiction in term because engineering implicitly means that you develop things and you innovate on things um, but i think another reflection i just got now is that how do we marry the human science with engineering right uh, because those are typically different mindsets and different personalities so how do we sort of make them the, the sort of human um, humanora you know the people that work with human science with sort of technology um they, they are quite different the, the personalities so i would say if you can sort of empower that marriage in a good way then you are on a good way forward and what Oh, sorry, go on, Jacob. Sorry, sorry. Um, uh, no, but I agree there. I mean, it, it's, a, it's a different sort of thought pattern. If, you know, we brought in developers in design sprints and, you know, it tends to be a bit of limitations. You know, we have legacy systems, that system doesn't, you know, if you bring in, in that early on in the, in, in, you know, idea creation and, and product discovery, that's, it could be a bit of a struggle. So you really have to let people check in and into a workshop and really be, you know, uh free their mind and, and sort of uh, put on another side and some people can't and some people can but it's it's hard to force it on people and uh well hearing all that steena then let's hear your final comments before we move on to the next question like what have you taken from uh you know the other guest comments there no but uh, so many great comments on this and uh, i totally agree with you i think also yeah i agree with everything that we need over a structure and uh, you know the, the really empowerment from the whole company that we should do this. And uh, we're starting to have that, so that's fun. <laughs> but uh, it's still a long way to go. And I also believe that we need to learn and educate people in the organization about uh, you know, user-centric user uh, processes and why we're doing it and stuff like that. And uh, so I agree with everything. And I'm super interested, of course, in hearing of, more of how you work in your companies. Uh, but, but also I think we are trying to enforce the trio from you know, UX tech and, and product also, and try to, to get everyone on board with the why, like why, why are we doing this? Why are we collecting insights and what's, what's, it, in, what's it in it for us? You know? hmm. what's the, so they actually understand the value of it. And, and um, I believe many are, are on board, but it's still also how should we do it? As you say, we need to, you know, facilitate and we have created like a toolbox for what kind of insights methods can you use in which phase, for example. So we will do workshops and stuff like that. But I have many good input from you guys from how we can do it even better. Thank you. No I'm problem. my hand. Yeah, <laughs> go on, Frederick. Go on. But I see you and you have raised your hand already, but I think it's been raised. No, it's fine. It's fine. Yeah, go on. <laughs> um, I'm just making a joke. <laughs> <laughs> I think, um, Stina, when you say the question, how, uh, I always ponder that. And I think I usually say, maybe a bit pretentious, uh, all the difference is in the execution. Mm. And you can discuss this to the end of days, like how should we organize ourselves and what process should we have? But that's when I go back to, you know, that one individual in the, in the small team that knows how to execute and give that person the stick, you know, to run and um, hopefully make them confident that they are sort of autonomous. And I think there was oh. another question related to that. How do we create teams that actually have the power to make a difference sort of, but I think um, I, I really favor yeah, I think I'm just repeating myself, but you know, the execution there is obviously the, the trick question, right? But I think then one really strong person that can inspire others and sort of, um, yeah, push it. Yeah, let's move on. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> All right, well, let's do that. Let's, um, Jacob, let's hear your, the, uh, our third question of the day. Um, yeah, from you, Jacob. Yeah. Uh, so, so we're in, you know, the process. Of, we've been in the process before of, of, you know, trying to have teams that are more product focused, value focused. I mean, we've gone through the value streams and, 
um, back and forth. We try to adopt, you know, Spotify's terminology of squads and chapters, uh, you know, b- basically building cross-functional teams. Uh, and, and, you know, what we're seeing is, you know, throughout the different efforts, it's, it's, you know, you have different channels that you want to market or sell your products in. So we tend to, you know, maybe divide up our website into different type of pro- products because they're so large. And, and so the teams will focus on one part, you know, maybe the search part of the site and then another will do the checkout or booking. And, um, and I mean, then you have different product. Or, or functions like payment that will span over several different product areas. And, and in combination, you know, you have roles and, and people that tend to want to stick to their function, their department. So content editors will, you know, want to stay in their uh, functional area and, you know, knowledge share and, you know, best practices and, and that. So so it's sort of a matrix of, of, of things. And, and how, do you have any experience of how you navigate setting that up and, you know, start small and, and, you know, what's, what's your experiences there? Yeah, another interesting question. So let's, uh, let's hear from Johan. Um, so, so the question is the, the organization around product is getting more, more complex. So how, how do you kind of achieve alignment between like what you want to do within the company basically? Um, yeah. Um, yeah, so I, from, from my experience, I, I think, uh, um, this is, this is what happens when, when, when you scale the company, uh, and I, I, I strongly believe in like the, the, um, the fundaments of a product team that, that, that they shouldn't be like 20 people. You should probably keep that to a, a quite s- small chunk of people that can, uh, solve problems, uh, but as they grow, they're going to be more of them, and you're probably going to have a lot of different teams within the company that are trying to achieve uh, similar things. So you you would have a few product growth teams and pro- and likely a few marketing teams that are you want to make them go in the same direction. So my my experience of addressing this is 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 doing that through joint planning processes and and OPRs. So you want to try and split the company into a a few key missions uh, where you would say, this is about growing the company, this is about partnerships, and this is about maybe the the core experience, this is about content. And you'd have product teams, you'd have commercial teams, marketing teams, sales teams uh, that would uh, have shared objectives that they would jointly discuss how how should we move towards those objectives and ensure that you put a process in place so that they continuously talk to each other around their joint strategy and 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 don't make uh, the the product and tech thing something that is isolated and 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 something that's on the side of the rest of the business but make that make the like the the company governance something that that absorbs both product and and all the other teams in a uh, uh, in in alignment uh, through something like okrs uh, that's what i would recommend frederick let's hear from you on that um i think you had a really good answer there you and um I get an association uh, in Visma that uh, we talk about silos a lot in Visma. And it sounds like this is a silo discussion. And on a bigger level, what we recently did was instead of trying to sort of consolidate the whole business and have one really big development organization with 4,000 people, we've actually just reversed it. (laughs) So we're sort of in strengthening silos on business level, but then on sort of group level, we are trying to accomplish what you're talking about, Johan, there. And that's again back to culture and also, I would say, safe space. Many times where, when we have sort of, well, if we remove the silos and make only one silo, but then how do you govern that? It tends to be really many people with um, many different kinds of special specialities that sort of 
um, they sort of thrive on being focused on their expertise. But if you mix them with many other people, it's sort of you can lose that sort of focus and um, specialist competence, sort of. So I think you can do a mix depending on how big the organization is. What, but we and we've done the mix. We saw that it doesn't it doesn't work well to have local business unit being governed by people working in a different country. It's better that the local business unit uh, work towards the local market. But then on the other level, we we remove the silos. So we create silos further down, but higher up, we try to remove silos. That's my sort of experience uh, in, in our company. Okay. Uh, Dino, let's hear from you. Yeah, I, I was thinking uh, the word came up in my mind now is transparency uh, regarding alignment is to really be open and transparent uh, in the organization and uh, also like create that culture of transparency. Um, so it's easier to align and easier for people to get information they need to get aligned. Because sometimes uh, if uh, information is too hidden or just up in the top management layer, it will never get aligned in the company at all. So I truly am a true believer of being transparent as a, as a leader and, and as an employee at every level. And, uh, one, and another thing I was thinking about when you talk, was talking was uh, talking about the organizational structures and they are super important for this, of course, of alignment, but also it's really like important with the informal structures too, right? What do people, who do actually, do people reach out to? How, how do you form uh, groups and uh, how do you transport information across silos and how do you, you know, know? So I think that's a super important thing that I've noticed during my time in Shifset that people there do, doesn't really follow the organizational hierarchy and, you know, just, uh, ask anyone who they need info from to get aligned. We are very much more uh, possible to, to succeed in our alignment, you know. So it's a lot about how you, you know, your, uh, yeah, how you behave also and how you, what steps you take. And Frederick, did you want to come back in on that? I disagree. And that that is culture, right? So if you feel secure and safe um, to uh, bypass the organizational structure, I think you have uh, won a lot of uh, victories with that one. Interesting. Um, Jacob, let's come back to you then and uh, hear you know your thoughts after hearing the other guests speak there. Uh, some some really good insights and I, I, I took some notes down and I think I can I can relate, Frederick, with the silo discussion. It's been since I started with Choice. Uh, you know, it's you know, how do we break down the silos? How, how do we create a flat, flatter organization where, you know, you push down decisions and all that. But sometimes I think, you know, people tend to use these topics as just, you know, a bit of buzzwords. They don't really understand what, what you know, flat organization means. It means maybe actually that leaders and managers that's been managing for a long time, they need to they need to actually step down. They, they won't be able to make those decisions anymore. And, and you know, it's a lot of maybe pride and, and, and those sort of things that come in. And also, you know, what you mentioned, Stina, I think also you won with, with establishing things in, in management. I think that's where that's where we're, we're struggling, uh, you know, the understanding of what's actually needed to be able to create these teams because it we tend to go pretty far but then you know the team maybe is dependent on some other vendor or some other part of the organization that you know we need deliveries from and they have a completely other set of goals and, and ambitions and um so so we tend to maybe reach 80 percent uh and mm. and you know the, the team is not self-sufficient anyway uh so so you can go only so far so yeah, that that's that's I think the struggle we have ahead. But you know, like I said, now we're building things from scratch again. Sort of Corona came in and and mm -hmm. and sort of put the reset button. So um, now I got some good insights in in what to do. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Before we move on, Stina or Johan uh, or Frederick, have you got any final comments on uh, Jacob's question there, or should we go into the next one? All okay. Yeah. No, it's, yeah. a, it's no. really good. Uh, we have the solution. Then, so. So. <laughs> yeah, we've solved it. 
Brilliant. Um, okay, then. Well, last question. Um, Frederick, let's come to you for the last one before we uh, wrap up for the day. Yeah, sure thing. Well, it's been quite much addressed already, but um, my question was, should we be product focused? Because that was the question. Or should we be problem solving focused or value creating focused? Um, uh, yeah. And I actually have a quote that I think frames it quite well. Um, it's Peter Drucker. I don't know who it is, but nothing is less productive than to make more efficient what should not be done at all. Say it one more time. Nothing is less productive than to make more efficient what should not be done at all. I like it. <laughs> I think that frames my question. So how do we avoid not doing things that we should not, not be doing and focus on making more efficient those things we should be doing. <laughs> All right, well, um, let's hear from Johan on that then. Uh, <laughs> well, um, how do we avoid not doing, um, uh, doing unnecessary things? Is that, is that the question? Um, well, sort of. Well, there's a tendency to, you know, feature creep. We do mm. a lot of things for doing a lot of things, but yeah, th that's not the that's a that's a mean to an end. But we do yeah. things to to meet to meet an end, right? Yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I, I think we uh, we all uh, probably experience this uh, as a as a tendency from uh, like. A, an anti-pattern from from many um, uh, tech organizations is that it's it, it's hard to to get your eyes on creating value. So I, I think we can all agree that that you should aim for creating value, and that often comes from solving customer problems. Uh, but I guess the hard part is how, how do you how do you do that then? Because it's it's so easy to uh, to get stuck with with feature development. Why why does that happen all the time? And I think that's back to a lot of conversations that we've had uh, throughout this call. Is like how how do you do that? And I, I think it's it's really important to build everything around the product teams to uh, to aim for outcomes. Everyone needs to be on board with that. Uh, and the product teams need to be structured around problems and outcomes. They will still probably sometimes do some features that they love that are not creating uh, massive amounts of, of value. But I think those structures are probably the, the best cure for avoiding just being feature factories. Hmm. Okay, uh, Jacob, let's hear from you. Yeah. Um... So I mean the, the original question right was was product problem or value creating and and I think it it's uh, to me it, I mean we tried cre uh, defining value streams and and uh, you know or or defining product areas and I mean it, it for me it tends to depend on the maturity of the organization how ready are this organization to go into something like a value stream or or you know. In our case, we're selling hotel rooms, so that product will always need to be there, uh, in in a sense, because we have physical buildings. Um, but you know, it's it's the incentive of the organization how how ready are the are are you know leaders to step down and maybe focus on product or value streams or or and that type of thing. And I mean, also identifying a scope and map the products. Um, or value streams. I mean that that work of identifying uh, the roles needed to drive it forward. Uh, you know, getting people to to actually effectively communicate cross cross competencies. I think we touched upon that earlier. With you know, a developer and, and a, maybe a content creator have di completely different thought patterns. How do you get them to actually sort of bridge each other a bit? So you know, if if things you know, tend to fall fall in the cracks. You know, someone will catch it. Um, so that I, I think it's it's important, no matter how you cut the team and no matter how you you tend to like you know focus on the team. Um, yeah. Yeah. No, brilliant. Um, Stina, let's hear from you. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah. As I heard the question, my answer would like be just for me. It's uh, 
to to know what to build or to it's all about doing the great product discovery from the start because uh, then we don't build stuff that's useless, right? So uh, so for me that's and also uh, like if we do that and listen to your users first and always and never do otherwise, just don't build what the neighbor already had built, right? Just because you think the users wants it. And, uh, and also I would like to add a bit of boldness into this equation too, because uh, sometimes the users don't know what they want, right? Look at mm -hmm. iPhone and, you know, a lot of products that just popped up and became successes. And I think we need to be a bit bold and uh, think a bit for ourselves also to, to find the right, the right product or the right problems to solve. But uh, mainly, like the main thing is really to have a great product discovery processes in place, I think. Because then we don't, we will never fail then in that case to do like, uh, is this really something that's usable and desirable for our customers? And, uh, and of course, we need to consider other stuff in that processes too. Like, is it, is it possible to build and stuff like that? But uh, for me, it's like a no-brainer in this, in this question. Yeah. Go on, Frederick. But it's, it's, over, um, over to you. Let's hear, you know, a bit of feedback from you then. I agree with you, it's a no-brainer, but I, I still think it's a valid question because many times we still, even if we have a discovery, we don't end up with a good product and what happened mm. then? And I really like when you say bold because I think courage and guts, it, it needs to be part of the mix because I hear sometimes like, oh, we shouldn't do this, but um, isn't this bad? But you, you don't dare to speak up. So I think uh, being bold mm. and have courage in the teams. Mm. So again, culture, right? Mm. Um, but yeah, I think the solution stares at us in the face. But yeah, so I agree with you. And I think the last thing, I my reflection is, how can we translate this so people are, not only designers, understand what's needed so that, you know, again, that marriage between the different domains is... Uh, really important mm. yeah very interesting is there any any uh, last comments from uh, jacob steen or johan before we uh, conclude there i'm good no oh, oh, good well, i uh, agree oh well um no that's fantastic all four great questions um and i think you know we've we've timed it well i think we'll leave it there for today um, so this has been another episode of the Evol Evolution Exchange podcast. Uh, for anybody who's listening, um, I'd like to take uh, the opportunity to invite you onto our podcast. If anybody interested, uh, please feel free to um, send me a message. And I'd also like to thank our four guests today, uh, Jacob, Stina, Johan and Frederick for participating. Like I say, all really good questions and hopefully some, uh, well, there were some really good discussions. So hopefully a lot of people have got a lot of things from that. Um, so I will see you next time.